Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Good day, friends. I hope you've been able to celebrate the incarnation of our Lord and to remember the significance of his birth for our lives. I'd like to draw your attention in this brief Christmas devotional to the words of Luke chapter 2, especially at verse 21. On the eighth day, we read there, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. On December 25th, we celebrate Christ's incarnation. But what after that? What do we do after Christmas? What do we do to remember Christmas? To help us do that, think of the angelic host who presented or who proclaimed to the shepherds the message of peace so long ago. The peace of which they spoke is the peace Christ would accomplish by his death resurrection, and ascension. Only by his work on the cross can there be true peace, for only the cross could remove the offense of our sin from before the face of God. And though the peace of which the angels spoke would only be accomplished on Golgotha, when they spoke to the shepherds, they spoke as if peace had already come. How could they speak of peace if the foundation for our peace with God had yet to be laid? While it is true that the birth of our Lord was not enough to work peace between God and man, the birth of our Lord initiated a series of events that inevitably led to the cross. The cross was not an accident along the way. Sometimes the cross is viewed that way as though Jesus was swept up in a wave of hatred beyond his control. The truth is that the shadow of the cross already lay on the manger. Jesus was born to die. And for this, we celebrate his birth and what he came to do after his birth. Our Savior took on flesh so that he could nail it to a tree. Hallelujah! What a Savior! But the story doesn't end with the birth of this cute and cuddly baby. Though it was eight days after our Lord's birth, we need to consider the importance of Jesus' circumcision. In the Old Testament, circumcision signified and sealed to Abraham's offspring the promise of the Lord that he would be their God that he would forgive their sins. It is important that we remember that the Lord had given that promise to his people, that on the basis of the work which the Messiah would someday accomplish, God was their God, and they were his people. So it was that circumcision sealed God's grace to his Old Testament community. But now Jesus is circumcised, 
And that's a different thing. For whereas the grace of the Lord was sealed to every son of Abraham, the Lord now said to his son in this circumcision, You, my son, must work. To every other Israelite God said, and sealed it to them in their flesh, I will be your God because of the one who is to come. But to Jesus, God says, and sealed it in his flesh also, I will be your father on the basis of your own work. The bit of blood that was spilled at the time of circumcision was a guarantee to every Israelite that God would not require any more blood of them. That little bit of circumcision blood was a testimony of and witness to the grace of God. Circumcision was, and it always had been, a sacrament unto life. Though to be sure it called for and demanded faith, a surrender of one's life to the God of the covenant, lest you be cut off. And that also puts the reality of our baptism in perspective. It was for good reason that John the baptizer balked at Jesus' request for baptism. John knew that his baptism was a confession of sin, a symbolic death in the waters of the Jordan. So why should Jesus be baptized? There are a number of possible answers to this question. Of concern to us is the anointing with the Spirit that Jesus received at his baptism. Though here too we might wonder why the Lord needed to be anointed by the Spirit since he was true God and therefore one with the Spirit. We must, however, see Jesus here in his humanity as the one who came in the flesh to fulfill all righteousness, that is, to fulfill God's demands on behalf of his people. In his humanity... Jesus needed the presence and power of the Spirit to fulfill his office. This was foreshadowed in the Old Testament by the anointing of the prophets, priests, and kings. As believers, we should be encouraged by this event. Through faith we are united to Christ and so share in his anointing. Like branches grafted into a vine, we receive the life-giving power of Christ when we have faith in him. We too must live the new life we have in Christ, but that's only possible through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we can only receive the Spirit from the one in whom the Spirit dwelt in fullness. If we would live in the power of the Spirit, we must be united to the Spirit-filled Messiah. And we must walk in the gratitude of faith. This, too, is pictured for us in all of the events that follow our Lord's incarnation. Think only of Mary, who had heard what the shepherds were saying to one another and about all the wonderful things that had happened on the night of Christ's incarnation. But Mary did more than just listen. She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. We don't know what thoughts were generated in Mary's heart or how clearly she understood the significance of these events at that time. 
but we know that they aroused in her heart a thoughtful reflecting. There was more to this son of hers than was immediately evident. Now we have the advantage of knowing what that more was, and therefore we should ponder these things all the more. Christmas is over for another year, and soon we'll pack up all the lights, put away the tree, and get back to the regular routine of life. But we must still ponder these things in our hearts. The events of Christmas not only echo down the ages, they must echo in every day of our life. Our Messiah was born. We know his name. We know his ancestry. We know why he came. But do we allow those truths to permeate throughout our life? Or do we simply pack up these thoughts as we do with so many of the other elements of the Christmas season? Don't you see, like Mary and like so many others who witnessed the birth, the life, the ministry, the miracles of Jesus, who saw him hang upon the cross, who saw the empty tomb, and who saw the ascended Savior, we must allow these events to continue to inform and illuminate our hearts and lives. Christmas Day is only one day of the year. But the celebration of Christmas ought to last throughout our lives. We ought to rejoice to know that there is life and hope in the one who was born, that there is forgiveness and grace, that there is vitality and strength, courage and comfort. We ought to see that from this gift of Christmas morning flows so many gifts of eternal worth, that our hearts rejoice to know that he is our Savior and that we are his people. Therefore, we ought to treasure up all these things and ponder them in our heart, finding in them great joy and power as we live each day. Over these past four weeks, we have taken a few moments from our day to think upon and to consider the incarnation of Jesus. We saw that he became a man, for man sinned. We saw that he was born of Abram's family, because Abram was called by the Lord. We saw that he was a king, that he is a king, because David was made a king before him. And we see now that he is the Messiah come to save each one of us from our sins. Let us think on these things. And let us find our hearts encouraged to trust in Jesus Christ and find our hearts challenged if we do not know him. May the Lord bless each and every one of those who hear this message. And may we go about our day now in service and in gratitude to him.